This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and supporting listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate, or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter today. Ha-cha! Hi, this is Erica Henderson, artist of The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, and you're listening to Two-Headed Nerd Podcast with Joe and Matt. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting not from E-C-C-C-C-C-C-C, but... Nope, too many. Uh, I'm not even sure how many they're supposed to be. But from the ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode three of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. My name's Matt Baum. You can follow me, my cooking, my comic book habits, and my metal ravings at Matt Baumstein on the Twitter. And I'm Joe Patrick. You can find me at JoePatrick116, where I... Uh, you know, arguably, sure, I should be posting on my personal BS, yep. but I choose, which is my right, to post it on the show Twitter, at Two Headed Nerd. Sorry, folks. In this week's episode, they Joe and love I it. They love it. Go full leprechaun and dump our pot of gold opinions on Royal City number one and Old Guard number one. After that, we're bringing our shillelaghs to a gunfight when we review 10 more of this and last week's comics during the ludicrous speed round. Then it's time for Nerd at the Movies, where we host our own little MST3K and review Logan. And finally, we address the Is Logan Based on the Old Man Logan storyline when we revisit Mark Miller's famous Wolvie Mini as a part of our brand new Break It Down Again segment. So, pour yourself a black and tan, grab a wee snort of Jameson, and then we'll talk about this week's Nerd News. Drink a shamrock shake. Whatever floats your boat. Nerd news. Emerald City Comic Con is in full swing this weekend, and as is their usual convention MO, Image Comics hit the con floor running, announcing a slew of new titles and graphic novels by some of the best creators in the industry. Matt, let's just run down the list. Not the whole list. There's a lot. No, no, no. But let's spotlight some of the projects that we are most excited for. Give us your pick. The ones that we actually think are going to come out this year. How's that? Yeah, we, you know. <laughs> I had to start with Mage, the Hero Denied. This is the I know, long-awaited right? part three of I, Matt Wagner's Mage. I don't even know when the last one came out. It was 90s. It was the 90s, yeah. Right? Oh. It was the mid-90s. So for those of you who don't know. I never, thought, I never thought we'd live to see it. I know. Mage is basically the updated story of King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table set in, well, the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> From Matt Wagner, one of my favorite comic book writer, artists. He's a double threat. Super talented. I can't believe this is finally happening. The only thing that worries me is, is this going to sell at all? Like, does anybody remember but you, myself, and Joel Ballard? I mean, it's been 20, <laughs> it's been 15 years yeah. since the last one came out. Or, or even longer, even. Uh, probably. Joe Patrick, go. Justin Jordan is all over this list. He's he got is. a couple projects. He's got The Death of Love with... Artist Donald DeLay, that's a fine Irish first name at least, uh, and colorist Philippe Sobrero, which is about a uh, a bitter, you know, I'm a nice guy, <laughs> the sort of guy you see on the internet that can't get a girlfriend, uh, where he gains the ability <laughs> to see or boyfriend. I mean, whatever. Uh, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. You're not we're not making any judgments. Uh, who gains the ability to see the race of like Cupid like creatures in the world that are responsible for love and there is like a bloody war <laughs> it sounds insane jesus jordan's other project is called the family trade with artist morgan beam 
The family trade is about a family of assassins, con men, and thieves dedicated to keeping their floating city afloat. You got to keep that shit afloat, though. Yeah, you got to. Come on. Which goes reasonably well until the youngest member manages to nearly cause the city to go to war with itself. Whoa. Sounds like some big time fantasy stuff. Man. I was looking at the new lieutenants of metal. Yes. <laughs> Written by Joe Casey, who I just love, with artist Ulysses Farinas, who I also love. They're teaming up for this story. Here's your solicit. They're the most kick-ass head-banging heroes ever assembled. They're a precision strike force ready to face any threat. They are a metal militia of mayhem, and they mean serious business. If you like blood, yeah, I do, and explosions. Oh, I love explosions. Or you like bloody explosions. Well, those sound even better. <laughs> this is the book you've been waiting in line outside the Coliseum to read. I don't know what that means. Their names are legend. The Mighty Krieg, Vandenborg, Riot, Mano Warrior, <laughs> Steppen wolf with a U. Beset from all sides by a growing roster of vicious foes, the new lieutenants of metal have arrived to bust down the doors of perception and deliver you to a greater comic book glory. Featuring first appearance of Spike! Yes! I don't know what that means. Sounds awesome. You heard it here first. Sounds <laughs> awesome. Sounds very much in the spirit of his Godland book, which I loved so much. Joey, back at you. Uh, our main man, Phil Hester's got a book coming out. That hey, guy is all over the place. He is. Hey, this one, he's also drawing. So right now he's drawing Shipwreck for Warren Ellis at Aftershock. He's writing that book, Blood Blister, also at Aftershock with Tony Harris. And now he's drawing another book at Image, The Family Tree, written by Jeff Lemire, who is also all over the place. When an eight-year-old girl literally begins to transform into a tree, her single mom troubled brother and possibly insane grandfather embark on a bizarre and butt-wrenching odyssey <laughs> across the back roads of America. This whole thing sounds like a brutal bummer. <laughs> Desperately searching for a way to cure her horrifying transformation before it's too late. There's more to it. We're not going to keep g going at it, but Lemire, Hester, absolutely. Yeah, totally. Last one I'm excited for is Shirtless Bear Fighter. Yes! With a title like that, if it's bad, I'm going to find the people that created this and I'm going to beat the shit out of them. <laughs> After being betrayed by the bears that raised him, the legendary shirtless bear fighter wanders the forest he's sworn to protect, fist-fighting bears, eating flapjacks, and being the angriest man the world has ever known. When wild-eyed, super-strong bears attack the citizens of a major city, shirtless ventures to the human world to do what he does best. Punch those bears in the face! But... All is not as it seems. Someone is manipulating Shirtless, and only by confronting the demons of his past can Shirtless save his future. I sincerely hope this character's name is just Shirtless. And there's a quote <laughs> from Jody LeHoop, one of the creators, just said, quote, probably the most important comic book ever made. Fine, I'm in. <laughs> I'm in too. Sebastian Gertner also said, we need him now more than ever. Someone's got to fight all these bears. <laughs> Uh, real quick, I want to point out that uh, writer Ailish Cott has two books on the He's on the list. So good. Uh, one of them drawn by and artist Andre Araujo, who did Avengers AI, if you recall. Mm -hmm. um, really talented guy. And then another book with Trad Moore, Luther Strode artist Trad Moore. The New World. They both sound pretty good, uh, though Cott's work is kind of hit and miss with me. So we will see. I like more of his stuff than I dislike. I'll say that. Fair enough. He's a 60-40 guy. But the last book that I'm like super pumped for is a graphic novel by Declan Shalvey and Philip Barrett that they're calling an Irish crime story called Savage Town. It's set in a place called Limerick City, which is about as Irish as you can get. I guess. 
and it's loosely based on real events at the turn of the millennium. It follows Jimmy Hardy Savage as he falls his way up the criminal ladder. Sounds awesome. Damn. I love Declan Shalvey. There you go. Lots of cool shit coming down the pipe from Image. Uh, all of it is very vaguely planned for later on in 2017. Yeah, there's no dates on any of these. But uh, Image has a pretty spotty track record with actually getting right. books that they have announced out to print. So time will tell whether or not any of these projects actually see the light of day. Fingers crossed, because a lot of them sound really great. Yeah. Let's go to movie news. For those of you who haven't seen Lego Batman, turn this podcast off. Go see it right now. Don't do that. Don't it turn this podcast off. It's only an hour. Wonderful. You'll be fine. Lego Batman movie director Chris McKay is in talks to direct a live action Nightwing film, according to The Hollywood Reporter, that is. The accountant screenwriter, Bill Dubuque, that was the movie starring Ben Affleck as the like autistic murderer. No, he's <laughs> like an assassin or something. Right? Yeah. Is reportedly hard at work on a script. Dick Grayson has not appeared in any of Warner Brothers' DC Cinematic Universe films. A Robin suit appeared in Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, and Murder. But the character that wore the suit has never been confirmed. Considering the state of the Batman solo film, that tease may never go anywhere. Joey, you and I both love Nightwing. Do you have any confidence that the character can be handled well by the people currently in charge of the DCCU? No! Me either. No, I do Me not. Me either. That's the thing. Like, the reason Dick Grayson is one of my favorite characters is because he was a happy guy. He liked what he did. Yes. He was the light to Batman's darkness. He was the Batman that smiled. And I don't give them a, even a chance of nailing his personality. Uh, like, uh, so I'm so afraid to be like, oh, no, he's dark. He's gritty. He's like Batman, sure. but he's Look, I mean, and I'm, to be perfectly fair, we don't know who, like, Lego movie guy, hard to believe he's going to make a grim and gritty movie. And Wonder Woman looks great. So, like, I'm willing to give them at least a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, but... Just the aesthetic yeah. state of the current DC yeah. movie universe does not jive with Wolf, uh, Wolverine, with Nightwing. No. Uh, they've got the Flash in bulky armor. It's the worst. That Flash costume is the worst. Uh, like, Nightwing is an acrobat. So He's supposed to be bouncing off of things and flipping off of rooftops. Yeah. I, I just, I can't imagine a Nightwing movie set in the current aesthetic of the DC universe. I mean, unless they're just going to completely ignore it and do something different, which would probably be better for a Nightwing movie. Give, yeah, you know what? Give me a Nightwing movie separate from the DC Cinematic Universe where they barely mentioned Batman. Right. I'd be totally fine. We with need it. to see one successful DC Universe movie before I can get excited about anything else. If Wonder Woman comes out later this year and is completely kick ass, then I will start to be cautiously optimistic about future solo projects. Fair enough. Right now, though, they got some work to do. Let's talk about something we are both completely buck wild optimistic <laughs> so, for. Oh, man. <laughs> if you thought that Spider-Gwen and Gwenpool were really stupid ideas, Marvel has just revealed that you ain't seen nothing yet. Revealed in a press release this week. No shit. We got it in the email. The publisher has announced Edge of Venomverse. Ugh. <laughs> a ridiculously titled miniseries based on a ridiculous series of upcoming variant covers. That's right. The whole story is based around variant covers. All right. Here's a quote. Hey, that's how Marvel Zombies started, though. They did zombie variants, and then they were like, eh, 
Marvel Zombies. Let's tell this story. <laughs> but what came first, the zombie covers I, or Marvel Zombies? I'm not the totally comic? certain, but I think the zombie variants of something came first. Or did the did the zombie variants come from the popularity of Marvel Zombies? I'm not certain. I guess we don't know. Somebody lay it on us. You know what? Go to the, the, web, go to the, the world may never know. Go to THN forums and lay it on us. Here's a quote from the press release. Just brace yourself because they're so pumped. The symbiotes tentacles ensnare the entire Marvel Universe this June. The madness begins in Edge of Venomverse! A bombastic new five-issue series featuring your favorite characters and creators. Spinning out of the events in the hit Venom series. I'm going to put the hit in air quotes. Yeah. And the blockbuster <laughs> Venomized variant program. Blockbuster. Beginning this month, Eddie Brock won't be the only one who's back in black. Is Eddie Brock alive still? I guess. Is he back? I don't know. Yeah, I, that's the. I dropped Venom after one issue. It yeah, wasn't Eddie Brock. It was I a different guy. I think, but they there was like a sudden reveal where they're like, you thought this is the main character, but he's dead. Eddie Brock is here. Something oh, like all right. Happened. Well, cool. Yeah. Uh, Edge of, I'm not going to keep yelling this. Edge of Venomverse unleashes sinister symbiotes across the Marvel Universe wreaking untold havoc and wanton destruction. Featuring some of the most popular characters from March's Venomized variant program. Oh they mentioned it twice. Oh my God. Just so that you know. This in-continuity series brings you deadly new Venom combinations, giving fans dream matchups from some of comics' hottest creators. The Marvel Universe is about to play host to an army of Venomized heroes, but whose side will they be on? Gee, I wonder. The accountants. I think they're all going to be good guys. Every one of them. Uh, Edge of Venomverse will infect comic stands this June. Now, look, Matt, I have no illusions about the reality of corporate comics, but this seems so much more mercenary than usual. Okay, let's... Matt Baum runs Marvel Comics. He comes to Chief Editor Joe Patrick and says, Joey, these variants, they're a hit. I'm going to let you pick. We can do the Venom variant series or the hip-hop variant series. Which one would you like? You know what? <laughs> I would rather have a five-issue miniseries based on the hip-hop covers. I think I totally would, too. This bullshit. <laughs> I, think I totally would, too. Do it out of continuity, make it a fifth-week thing, whatever. You know, that'd I mean, be like, great. It's so cynical to have it blatantly thrown in our faces like this. Like, it was one thing when they just emailed the press release. We got the press release because we're on the list. Right. And retailers probably got it as well. But, like, they printed this press release in its entirety on Newsarama for the fans so that the fans know exactly where Marvel's head is at right. when it comes to producing these cash grabs. <laughs> and if a fan says, you know what, sign me up for a... Uh, venomized Gwenpool or whatever, which is like the snake eating its own tail. Right, right, right. <laughs> uh, like, then it's your fault for supporting this shit. Well, let me ask this. Maybe maybe I'm completely off here and I just, I have no idea what the kid's like. Do people still care this much about Venom? I mean, really? Venom I don't number know. Venom three came out in January and according to ICV2's top 300 comics list, it's number 24, which is not terrible. You know, but it's also not exactly burning up the racks. You know what I mean? So is this their... Well, man, now I'm worried that Venom's going to show up in Spider-Man Homecoming or something stupid. You know, it like, uh, I just got this yeah, <laughs> right. premonition. You know? Like, is this their desperate attempt to pump up the Venom book? Or is it a sign of something that's coming and we don't know about? It just seems so weird. So uh, let, me, let me calm it down just a little bit. Uh, I am right in the middle of reading Marvel Comics, The Untold Story by Sean Howe. Right. And I am 
just at the part where Marvel Comics is about to declare bankruptcy in 1997. Right. And prior to this, they were talking about the advent of the superstar artist, uh, Todd McFarlane, sure. Jim Lee. Sure. Um, and these books were so popular that the editors at the time, not even necessarily the editors, but the people that ran Marvel, the corporate suits, were like, let these guys do what they want. Right. And it got to a point where Jim Lee, for example, was basically guiding the X-Men and Chris Claremont was just filling in word balloons. Wow. And that's why Claremont bounced. He's like, no, fuck this. I can't do it. And that makes a lot of sense. And all of this and all of this, they were just raking in the dough, raking in the dough. And so they started focusing on whatever crazy gimmick the artists wanted to do. Some dude invented variant covers and they were off to the races and it all culminates in the point where the image guys bounce. Right. And then Marvel's left holding the bag as their readership starts to plummet. And there were other business decisions and everything that led to their bankruptcy and the sure, collapse. Sure. But it's this stuff. It's this sort of stuff. Yeah. Where like money, 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 content comes second to filling the racks with nonsense. What if it's great? Then it will be a happy accident. Yeah, but I agree. It's That's this, exactly where I was going to go with that. Like, if this is great, it's still just a happy accident. Right. <laughs> but it's this sort of like creatively bankrupt decision making. Well, not to mention they're like your favorite creators, none of which who are listed here. Right. Because we haven't gotten Cullen Bunn to agree to do it yet. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. But this exact kind of bankrupt, creatively bankrupt thinking is what led to the bankruptcy of Marvel comics and the yes. collapse of the comic book industry totally as agree. we know it. I totally agree. And thousands like, of comic book stores went out of business. People lost their jobs. Yeah. We almost lost Marvel comics period. Yeah. So let's think about that next time we want to, <laughs> we're thinking about pre-ordering edge of venom verse number one. There you go, guys. That's the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories and everything we missed, Head over to the Two Edit Nerd Forum's big news section, where we're going to talk about all of it. All of it. Yeah. Yeah, man. Every Sunday, the she-venom to my scream, <laughs> Joe Patrick posts the question of the week in everyone's favorite digital nerd Was it she-venom or lady-venom? I think she it was she-venom. Venom. Yeah, you're yeah. right. The THN Forums. That's what I was talking about. Joey, what are we asking these nerds this week? All right. This question of the week was inspired by the ever-faithful Black Scorpion, the three. Also known as BS, the three. BS, the three. But I adapted it for our, our own purposes. Okay. I All changed right. it a little. We perverted it. Yeah. He wanted to talk about comic book retcons. So let's talk about what a retcon is. A retcon is different from a reboot in the sense that it changes an established piece of comic book lore without erasing what came before it. For example. For example, the revelation that Hal Jordan didn't really turn evil and destroy the Green Lantern Corps. He was possessed by Parallax. Or uh, Gene Gray didn't really become the Phoenix and obliterate a race of sentient beings and then commit suicide. The Phoenix Force took over her body or took her place and she slept or in a cocoon. Cloned her or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that is a retcon where they, they took history and they said, you know what? It happened differently than you remember. And here we are now. It's also a stupid one. Anyway. Some of them are good. Yeah. Some of them are stupid. And that's what we're going to talk about. Sure. So take your two minutes and talk about retcons. Your favorite retcon. Your least favorite retcon. 
or the one that you think is completely ridiculous, but you can't help but love it anyway. I've got one of those. <laughs> yeah. You have until five o'clock Central Standard Time this coming Friday, March 10th, to give us your answers. Or talk about anything from this episode, this week in the news, a comic you read, whatever. Logan movie, it's up for grabs. Right on. You can call the Ziggurat hotline, 402-819-4894. Leave us a message there. You can also email your MP3 answer to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Like I said, though, you've got two minutes to get it done. We'll cut you off. It's how it has to be. Yep. You could also call in live and be on the show, just like Black Scorpion was last week. We had a bunch Anthony of people from do Brooklyn. It. Yeah. A bunch of dudes tried to get in, couldn't. Uh, Bobby from Florida, he tried really hard. Couldn't get in. Had to go back to work. Yeah, if you can't, leave a message, and we'll play it. Or call back. We'll get you. Just keep trying. This is, of course, as part of the all-new, all-different THN cover-to-cover, it's the happiest show on the internet. That's right. We will post online on Twitter, Facebook, wherever, the call-in window. Pay attention. We usually do that Friday. We'll do it Friday night. Yep. And we'll, of course, blast out right before we go live, too. So we tweet out all during, all during the recording. The moral of the story is follow us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. If you want to keep up with us, there you go. If you need more than two minutes, head over to the THN web forums, join our merry group of listeners. And if you don't have the time or the stones to call into the answer of the week, the forums are the perfect place to rap about everything we do on this show and more. I mean, look, you might not have stones just as a result of biology or whatever. Well, stones like, has it nothing, it has nothing to do with your bravery. No, stones have nothing to do with biology. It's metaphorical. Yeah, they're metaphorical stones. Yeah. Big, bouncing, metaphorical stones. Like... <laughs> Big, giant, metaphorical truck nuts. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's review time in the ziggurat where Matt and I desperately try to clean green beer stains out of two of this week's comics. Let me tell you, paper is unforgiving. <laughs> Matt, you chugged your Guinness faster than I ever could, so you get to go first. This week, I am reviewing Old Guard, number one from Image, written by Greg Rucka, with art by Leandro Fernandez and Daniel Miwa. 32 pages, $3.99. I don't think there's a writer working today that writes a better, strong female lead than Greg Rucka. I've loved all of his leading ladies from Wonder Woman to Tara Chase from Queen and Country. Here, Rucka is writing Andy, the leader of a military strike team of immortals that handles jobs that would kill anyone else. Although the team's immortality doesn't seem to be guaranteed, Rucka gently suggests that while the team has been around for quite a while and died several times, there will be something that actually kills each one of them in the future. See, and I read that differently. I read it as it's not that they're, yes, they're very long lived, but it's not that they're dying. It's that they can't die. See, I read it as they're, it's not that they're dying, but they're searching for that thing that will kill them. That might be. You know what I mean? It yeah. seems suggested because they talked about others that did die. But regardless, we don't get much past for any of the Immortal team, but instead we're dropped straight into the story of them bypassing their usual fee to help a group of young girls kidnapped by terrorists. Rucka's story and dialogue move very quickly along with his plot. I love his pace, but I have to wonder if new comic readers would feel the same or even understand how to keep up. Leandro Fernandez seems to be the perfect artist to keep up with Rucka and add the action, the violence, and everything else the story needed to give it real stakes. It's a very real-world story in the spirit of his Queen and Country, but it's also dealing with immortals, very much like his Wonder Woman that he writes. It's another great first issue from Rucka, featuring another in a long line of badass heroines. Old Guard is getting a buy-it from me. 
this book was f- super fast paced in yeah. my mind. Oh yeah, um, like it felt like it took place in fifteen minutes. <laughs> right. Uh, you 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 learn a little bit about the team and right. and a, a brief glimpse or hint of their history or what their whole deal is. Not necessarily their history, but like the sense that they've been around for hundreds of years. Right. Uh, they can't die or they die and are resurrected or whatever the case may be. Uh, so there's a mystery there and they are soldiers of fortune working for the highest bidder or whatever. Uh, in this case, they're helping people. Right. All um, we know is they're good guys. Maybe they're not always helping people. I but don't know. That's the other part. We don't know if they've always been good guys. That's trying to make up for something. Is this just one case of them being a good guy? Yeah. And we don't know. Somebody out there is on to them. So it's, it's super fast paced. It's brutal as hell. Yeah. Uh, the art is gorgeous. I love Leandro Fernandez. I do too. And I think that Rucka gives us just enough mystery to kind of draw me back in to want to know what is going on with these guys. What, like this stuff about them being immortal killers, not that it feels tacked on, no, but this could have just as easily been a very exciting sort of story about a group of human mercenaries. Right. It's, it's second fiddle uh, to what's happening right now yeah but they do bring it full circle but yeah there's the added hook that's yeah. like oh and by the way they can't be killed well uh, no i mean in the very end rucka's really good at that last page and be like oh here's why that's important right bam you know? uh, i loved it i thought it was very good it was fun i'm giving it a bite as well i am interested to see where it goes yeah the mystery has intrigued me when i first started getting into it and and started getting bits and pieces of the plot uh I kind of thought of Christopher Sabella's Welcome Back. Oh, yeah, um, definitely. Not that they're the same book. That book was about, you know, reincarnates, you right. know, people that are just constantly reincarnated as part of this um, never-ending war that people don't even realize why they're still fighting. But it's a great concept, the idea of, like, old soldiers that can never die that are just looking for the day that their war will finally be over. I'm into it. It's a I, buy it. Yeah, I, that's where I, I bring in that, like, uh, thing that may kill them. It almost kind of seems like they might be searching for their way to die. Sure, right, yeah. Joe Patrick, let's talk about Royal City. Royal City, number one, also from Image Comics. This is written and drawn by Jeff Lemire. It's 56 pages for four ninety nine. He might be the hardest working guy in comics. He writes X-Men books. He's got a ton of creator-owned stuff going on. I don't love his X-Men books. Yeah, you know, I I think that... I don't think they're very good. I don't think that's necessarily his fault. I think that's more of a Marvel fault. Might not be, yeah. You just solicit. Double-sized debut issue, new ongoing series. (laughs) Royal City charts the lives, loves, and losses of a troubled family and a vanishing town across three decades. Patrick Pike, a fading literary star who reluctantly returns to the once thriving factory town where he grew up, is quickly drawn back into the dramas of his two adult siblings, his overbearing mother and his browbeaten father, all of whom are still haunted by different versions of his younger brother, Tommy, who drowned decades ago. Gross. Yeah. Lemire's Royal City is a pretty bleak place. It's a washed up town kept barely afloat by the local factory, but even that is living on borrowed time. Pat, who's arguably the most successful member of the Pike clan, returns home following his father's stroke to find the town on the verge of collapse, and his family is right there in the thick of it. Lemire's characters are all beautifully broken. They're each struggling with their own baggage surrounding their brother's the brother or son's death, and it divides them from the rest of their family as the specter of this boy that they lost, or what he could have been, privately haunts them. Are they literal ghosts? Lemire doesn't really say. 
And I don't think it really matters necessarily. At this point, I feel like you're either a fan of Lemire's art style or you aren't. You know what you're going to get when you pick up a book by Jeff Lemire. It seems unlikely that this would be somebody's first exposure to his art, but it's possible, I suppose. And his deceptively simplistic figure drawings and melancholic watercolors may have caught your eye on the stands. Personally, though, I'm a fan. I've always been a fan of his work, but I've also come to know exactly what I'm getting by a book that Lemire draws himself. Yeah. This time I found myself impressed by the more subtle storytelling aspects like the way Lemire kept to a similar wardrobe theme for every iteration of Tommy's quote-unquote ghost and how he was able to stick to the cinematic 180-degree rule with different sets of characters within the same page. So the, Okay, what is the 180-degree The 180-degree rule? rule in cinematography, when you are shooting a scene and you establish that Joe's on the left and Matt's on the right. Gotcha. Every time you frame a shot within that same scene, whether it's a close up or a mid range or a pullback or whatever, you keep the orientation of the characters gotcha. the same. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, within the one hundred and eighty degree plane. Right. Now you can break that rule, but like it's like anatomy for comics. Like sure. you have to know the rules in order to break them. It's uh, used to create a space. Yes. And in this work, Lemire has a page that will say have six panels that are bouncing between Patrick, the sister, the mom, uh, and the brother or whatever, right? Okay. And as they flash from scene to scene and then back, the 180 degree rule might be different from panel to panel, but when they flash back to the same set of characters, he maintains what he, he established. He's thinking about it. Yeah. That's cool. The result of Lemire's work here is a comic book that's hard to explain, but it's also hard to deny. In a text piece in the back of the issue, he admits that it's difficult to define what kind of book Royal City is, and he's exactly right. He says that there will be crime and violence, but it's not a crime book. Fantastical elements, but it's not a fantasy. And even ghosts after a fashion, but it's not a horror book. And he concludes his thought by asking the reader to let the work speak for itself, and that's where my trust in Jeff Lemire's talent takes over. I don't really know what Royal City is or what kind of tale Lemire will ultimately tell, but he managed to draw me in with this issue, and my faith in his storytelling abilities, as somebody familiar with his work over the years, is going to bring me back for more. I'm giving Royal City a buy it. Yeah, this really reminded me of my favorite Jeff Lemire work, Sweet Tooth, in the sense that it's like it starts off with this sort of ridiculous premise, but it's not at all what you think it is. It's not at all what you think it is. It's yeah. not going to be a sci-fi story. Like it's I think not that a dystopian you, future, you know. I think that it's easy to make some assumptions about yeah. Royal City based on the whole thing about the the ghost. Right. Um, but it might all just be metaphorical. Yeah, I don't know. I can't tell yet. And it, it might not even be important to the bigger story that right. you're trying to tell, regardless. Like they see the ghost for sure. Yeah. Jeff Lemire is a master storyteller. He is also one of the most interesting artists, I think, working right now with his absolute, instantly noticeable style. Yeah. It, and God, I know a lot of people that hate it. I love it. I'm giving I, this book a huge bite. I love too. it, too. So that is a double buy it for both The Old Guard, number one, and Royal City, number one. So why don't you nerds take a break from your binge drinking and culture co-opting to let us know what you thought of these comments over at the THN forums. 
Matt and I can get drunk on St. Patrick's Day because we earned it. We were born Irish. That's right. Off the boat, Italian immigrants threw rocks in our heads and stuff. It was crazy. St. Patty's Day is a good of day as any to die. So Joe and I are getting good and drunk, tearing off our shirts, Hulk Hogan style, grabbing our shillelaghs, and heading to Best Buy to smash every Nintendo Switch we can find <laughs> to save you from a pointless video game system. Wrong! It, it's gonna be great! It came out the other day. Nobody cares. It's stupid. Lots of people care. All You're stupid. All we review 10 more of this in last week's comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round! Ludicrous Speed! Go! Valiant High, number one from Valiant. Valiant High is a curious digital first entry to the Valiant mythos, featuring an out-of-continuity take on the company's heroes and villains as high school students and teachers. If your first thought after hearing that was Archie with superpowers, then you're right on the money. Creators Daniel Kibblesmith and Derek Charm do a perfectly fine job considering... And the issue even has some funny moments like Bloodshot as a gym teacher that never stopped shouting. It's definitely not bad. It's definitely not essential. It is what it is. Valiant High gets a skimming. It strikes me as all those wrestling comics where they just like stuck wrestlers as themselves in other <laughs> yeah, right. roles. You know, like why? Like the, <laughs> like the um, why are we doing this? Like the Kevin Nash comic from the late night. Yeah. <laughs> The Visitor, how and why he stayed. Number one from Dark Horse. Mignola and Chris Roberson finally tell the story of the aliens we saw on one damn page of Hellboy's first miniseries back in 1994, Seat of Destruction. It turns out the Visitor was sent to kill young Hellboy, but chose to observe his actions first. Paul Grist takes what I think is his first gig in the Mignolaverse, and wow, does he fit right in. The art was so great here. The Visitor looks like it will be revisiting some of our favorite Hellboy moments, which could be a little too inside baseball for casual readers, but hardcore Hellboy nerds like myself will love it. I'm giving it a buy it. Electra, number one from Marvel. Well, I'm three for three in reviewing Marvel's unnecessary trio of Daredevil spinoffs. It's a turkey. It's a Daredevil turkey. And I'm about one and a half for three in liking them. <laughs> Electra is basically trying to lose herself in the noisy madness of Las Vegas, where she can't help but be drawn into violent conflict, trying to defend the defenseless. Wah, wah. It happens. <laughs> but a very unexpected villain is pulling the strings behind the scenes. I'm not at all familiar with the creative team of Matt Owens and Juan Cabal, but they did a very decent job taking a character that's hard to root for and sending her in a compelling direction. I just thought Big Wheel was such an odd choice for the villain. <laughs> Cabal's art creates some interesting page layouts, and it kind of has a less cheesecakey Frank Cho vibe. Look, I'm not prepared to say that I care about Electra's solo adventures at all. If I skipped the rest of this series, I probably wouldn't miss it. But Owens and Cabal make a strong case for the character in this first issue. Electra number one gets a strong skim it. Highlander, American Dream, number one from IDW. Because apparently I got super drunk one night and demanded it, Connor McLeod returns to comics with a kick-ass cover from Francesco Francavilla and a great story by Scottish fantasy novelist Brian Ruckley. I'm not sure what constitutes a Scottish fantasy, but apparently he's very good at this stuff. Kilts. Oh, okay. <laughs> Highlander, man. Highlander is a Scottish fantasy. This series fleshes out Connor's past after leaving Scotland and before the gathering that we saw in the first and only Highlander film worth watching. Very solid art by Andrea Moody made the story even better and probably accessible to anyone interested in the Highlander mythology. I like Andrea Moody. I really enjoyed this book. Give me to buy it. All right. 
Hot take. I would be fine with them resetting Highlander and just doing it all over again. Forget Highlander 2, 3. Just do it the right way. <laughs> because all the rest of Highlander movies are crap. Extremity, number one, from Image, Skybound. He, what about the one with Mario Van Peebles? Stop it. That was the second one. It was... No, that was like the fourth one. Oh, no, you're right. That's when they were like, okay, fuck the alien stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Attacked and deformed by the warlord of a rival clan, a former artist named Thea now fights alongside her father's army for survival and revenge. This book came out of nowhere. I hadn't even heard about it before this week, but it turned out to be a worthy addition to the Skybound line. I was drawn into writer-artist Daniel Warren Johnson's story, which was well complimented by Mike Spicer's colors. When I originally wrote this, I wrote Sean Spicer. Uh, he did not color this book. That is an alternative fact. Little known fact. Mike Spicer, Sean Spicer's brother. Uh, yeah, let's go with it. There you go. This is the wasteland savagery of Mad Max crossed with the ethereal fantasy of Studio Ghibli, floating cities and weird, like, like bone armor. It's crazy. Weird. It's brought to beautiful, gruesome life by Johnson and Spicer's art. Extremity number one absolutely gets a bite. It was it awesome. Cosmic Scoundrels, number one from IDW. Writing comics is hard, and I think there's a fair argument that writing comedy in comics is even more difficult. Enter Cosmic Scoundrels, the story of two cosmic scoundrels that steal stuff from aliens and make unfunny jokes. This was trying desperately to be funny, but it failed every time, which sucks because it's written by Gravity Falls writer Matt Chapman. What? And Gravity Falls is hilarious. Matt Chapman, yes. also co-creator of Homestar Runner? That's the one. Even the art by Andy Suriano has what I'm guessing is supposed to be a funny, quote unquote, 90s young blood meets the Savage Dragon style, but like the humor, didn't work. Cosmic Scoundrels gets a gigantic leave it. It sucked. Oh, man. I Riverdale. am disappointed to hear Tell that. Tell me about it. Riverdale, one shot from Archie. Archie Comics moves quickly to capture the surprising popularity of the CW show with a one-shot anthology that spotlights the lives of the main cast just before the start of the pilot episode. The stories are all conceived by showrunner and Archie Comics chief creative officer Roberto Aguirre Sacasa with scripts and art by a dozen or so talented creators. I'm not going to list them, sorry. Unlike most anthologies, I enjoyed all of these stories, and the art is pretty great throughout. You may or may not care, depending on your opinion of the show. I love the show so much. As far as I'm concerned, <laughs> the Riverdale one-shot gets a buy it, and there's an ongoing series on the way. Of course. Smoketown, number one from Scout Comics. You want Matt Baum to review your comic? Mention Ed Brubaker's Criminal and David Lapham's Stray Bullets in your solicit, and boom, he's in. Here, Warlords of Appalachia writer Philip Kennedy Johnson sets up the story of a desperate woman on her most desperate night doing what has to be done. The story was intense, very well written, and paced perfectly. Newcomer artist Scott Van Domelen was excellent here, giving the story a real-world crime noir look and feel that it needed. Smoketown gets a huge buy it. I really enjoyed this. You may recall, I also really enjoyed Warlords of Appalachia. Gave that book a buy it too. Savage Things, number one from Vertigo. Luther Strode writer Justin Jordan teams with high crimes artist Ibrahim Mustafa He's for great. a new miniseries that follows the aftermath. Now stay with me. Okay. Of a secret government organization that reconditioned 
future serial killers Whoa. into black ops agents for the United States. Uh, like it profiled these little kids that oh, were okay. sociopaths and okay. they're like, our, our science dictates that if you grow up, you will become a serial There's a 95% chance you're a serial killer. Instead, we're going to take you away from your family and turn okay. you into killers for us. Sort of like a Chinese does to their gymnastics kids in the Olympics. Uh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. Gymnasts is what they call them. It's a great high-concept hook with phenomenal art by Mustafa. It's beautiful. This is a great addition to an imprint that desperately needs new life breathed into it. Savage Things number one gets a buy it. America number one from Marvel. Because a bunch of little girls demanded it, I guess. Miss America Chavez gets her own series, and it's so cute, you guys. This was gushing with internet slang and overflowing with hyper-adorable characters of all sexual preference, creed, and color, and it came off as a spastic, overwritten Burger King's Kids Club with a Kanye West soundtrack. America was not bad, but man, was it colorful and lunacy. <laughs> I thought it was great. It was fine. I'm giving it a skim. It's obviously not for me. I thought it was great. (laughs) There's a sorority named the Lilu Multipass Theta Beta Phi's or whatever. I thought it was hilarious. At the Sandra Sotomayor University for Super Hispanic Kids. Weird. There's like weird aliens and stuff. I I don't know what's going on. I thought it was good. It was very, very good. Boom, bap. That is your ludicrous speed round and boom, bap is the onomatopoeia of the week and the sound of Monica Rambeau getting smacked by an alien and hitting the windshield of the Ultimate's weird little spaceship Whatever thingy. Whatever it is, yeah. As seen in the pages of America, number one. If you need more speedy reviews, head over to twoheadednerd.com where you will find ludicrous speed reviews from Aaron Myers. No new reviews this week. His hometown did not get comics until late. It is a tragedy. But most weeks you can read them there and all the archives are there. Aaron has a lot of hot takes about a lot of hot books. Get there, read them, enjoy them, live them. He dug Monica Rambeau before digging Monica Rambeau was cool. Just had to make one last Monica Rambeau joke, didn't you? Rambo. (laughs) Joe, what do you say we retire to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum and join Warwick Davis and Jennifer Aniston to talk about their time together on the set of the 1993 cult hit Leprechaun, the movie that gave us Jennifer Aniston. Wow. And what we're all excited to Thanks, read Leprechaun. next week. <laughs> Joey, tell the nerds what you're buying next week. My pick for next week is Action Comics number 975 from DC Comics, written by Dan Jurgens and Paul Dini, with art by Doug Mankey and Ian Churchill. Ian Churchill? I forgot about that, dude. I didn't even think he was still alive. It's 48 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. Superman Reborn! Part 2. Celebrating our 975th issue with a supersized special as another layer of the Superman-Clark Kent mystery is exposed. And in a backup story written by Paul Dini, with art by Ian Churchill, learn what it means for the son of Superman, who is the prize in a deadly game. Ooh, like Jakarta. <laughs> yes, just the deadliest game. <laughs> now, it might be odd for me to pick part two of a storyline. Superman Reborn Part 1 came out this week in Superman. It was really good. It's super good. It was really good. Uh, but I'm a sucker for anniversary issues and action comics 975 is supposed to be the big reveal. What the hell is up with this other Clark? Oh, okay. Plus a story by Paul Dini. I mean, come on. Yeah. You should be reading. What's your pick for next week? 
I went with Grass Kings, number one from Boom, written by Matt Kent, who I am not convinced is not just a extension of Jeff Lemire's ego. I've never seen the two in the same. Maybe place. it's like That's all I'm saying. Maybe it's like. The- <laughs> Maybe it's like the M. Night Shyamalan movie Split. It could be. It's art by Tyler Jenkins. 32 pages for $3.99. Here is your solicit. From New York Times, best-selling writer Matt Kent, who wrote, who brought us Mind Migment, and Peter Panzerfaust artist Tyler Jenkins, comes a rural mystery series chronicling the tragic lives of the Grass Kings, three brothers and rulers of a trailer park kingdom, a fiefdom of the hopeless and lost, of the desperate poor seeking a promised land. Eldest brother Robert leads a grief-stricken life, having lost his daughter to a tragic accident, followed by his wife disappearing one morning, never to return. No! When an enigmatic young woman named Maria flees to their community in search of safe haven. Robert takes her in. Will his decision lead to ruin and retribution, dooming the kingdom? This is perfect for fans of True Detective Season 1. Okay, all right, great. (laughs) We don't want any Season 2 fans. Or scalped, period, question mark? (laughs) Oversized prestige format first issue featuring 30 pages of story. Matt Kent is perfect to crap like this. And I will say Tyler Jenkins, who was very good in Peter Panzerfaust, looks to be working outside of himself. This art looks beautiful. I'm really interested in this. I think it's going to be kind of a slow burn, but I think it's going to be great. The THN trade of the week goes to 30 Days of Night, 15th anniversary trade paperback from IDW. 15 years ago when this came out. I know. Damn. Written by Steve Niles with art by Ben Templesmith. I remember when 30 Days of Night number one hit the stands. I do too. It, it was a phenomenon. It was crazy. Yeah, and it was most of our first exposure to Ben Templesmith. And it's also the book that put IDW on the map. Yeah. It's 348 pages for $29.99. That's a bargain. Oh, also, Steve Niles. Yeah. Like, this was a career-making book. put them both on the map. Uh, the solicit is just a bunch of things about how great 30 Days a Night is. But basically, 30 Days a Night is the story of Barrow, Alaska, a town where... The sun goes down and it doesn't come back up for a month. And a bunch of vampires get the bright idea. Hey, let's go take over this town. It's vampire Mardi Gras. And rule it like kings. They take their tops off. They kill everybody. And, and these are scary vampires. Yeah, it not is sparkly vampires. Horrifying. Oh, man. I loved this book. I even liked the movie. I think the movie was one of the more successful comic book adaptations. It was scary as hell. This is back when vampires were still scary. Uh, and this book has the first three volumes of 30 Days a Night. The first... 30 Days a Night mini was only three issues. This has the first three, um, the, the original and the, and the two sequels. Yes. It's great reading. I remember it fondly. Pick it up. Be terrified. It's available only in the direct market. Oh, yes. Thank you. Uh, it is direct market exclusive, which means comic shops, baby. Yeah. Look at IDW. Doing it the right way. There you go. Speaking of which, you can pick up all of the comics we just talked about at your local comic shop. Or everything but the 30 Days of Night trade paperback using our THN Amazon link. Go to our show notes. There's a little link there. Shop as you normally would. You help support the show. You don't have to buy comics. You can buy anything you want. And they sprinkle a little bit of uh, wealth down on us. Just like Donald Trump and his friends are doing for America. Right? Just like the Russian <laughs> prostitutes are doing for Donald Trump. <laughs> Technically, I think that is Tinkle Down Economics. <laughs> that should be the name of the episode. It's time to grab your popcorn, style your hair into points, and grow out your mutton chops because the old knucklehead is back in theaters. That's right. 
Logan, the final film starring Hugh Ackman as Wolverine, hit theaters this weekend. So Matt and I are doing our best Siskel and Ebert impersonations for our Nerd at the Movies segment. So let's set it up for him, Joey. The year is 2029. There are no I wish more it had mutants. been 2099. <laughs> Please. There are no more mutants. We don't exactly know why. Very few. Very few remaining mutants and none born in the last 25 years. And none that we really recognize outside of Logan, Professor X, and Caliban. Caliban, yeah. Everybody else, gone. We don't know why. We know something bad happened. We don't really go into what it was. Yeah, we'll and get to that. And it's not important to this story. No, really. it would have been nice, but we'll get to it. Yeah, my question is, where does this fall in X-Movie timeline? We know that everything got farted up everything got, by uh, Days of the Future the Past. The timeline got rewritten in Days of Future Past, right. which means the, the last story we know of to feature the X-Men took place in the 1980s That was a, the apocalypse, in X-Men Apocalypse. Which was... Fine. No, it was not fine. It was bad. It was a bad movie. The more the more distance I get from it, the less I like it. Yes. So according to the lore of Logan, a new mutant had not been born since 2004. Right. The world is kind of shitty. Um, it's not quite the post-apocalyptic no. landscape of old man Logan. It's but surprisingly recognizable. Yeah, I will say I mean, for the year 2029, I kind of went, well, this looks like it could be... I don't know, next week. <laughs> well, I mean, it's only 10 years, you know, right? I, 10 or 12 years from now. I guess. The world seems to have gone in a direction that we can probably all see coming, where, like, corporate concerns seem right. to be running the show. Uh, the military-industrial complex is wildly out of control. Yeah, rampant, yes. And, you know, normal people like you and me, your farmers, your migrant uh, workers, your immigrants, uh, they've got it rough. There was definitely a lot of social political commentary. Yeah, going on gently. I will say they didn't force anything. Oh in no, your faces. certainly not. Yeah, it, I it, mean they did not address the ills of government in this movie. No, not really at all. <clears throat> Just sort of showed us like those who were victimized. And everybody was kind of equally victimized from what we saw here, unless you were rich and you just didn't give a shit. Right. And so that's the world. That's the world that uh, Wolverine finds himself in. There's something wrong with his healing factor that they don't fully explain. Again, his powers are breaking down. See, now, I was going to say, again, not important to the story, but it is very important it's, to the yes, story. Yes, a key, crucial element and of the story. they don't address it at all. Well... They don't explain why it's happening, but no. it's obvious that it is happening. There is one scene where a doctor-type character goes, you know, maybe if you let me do some tests, I could figure out what's wrong with you or this thing that's inside of you that's killing you. But other than that, really no mention. Right. I mean, it's, it's certainly a, a key part of the story. Right. Uh, they just don't bother to explain it. And, and he's still healing. It's just he's healing very slowly. Yeah, to the point where, like, he's experiencing some lasting permanent damage. Right. He's got scars all over his body. Like his, he can't hardly pop his claws all the way anymore. It's kind yeah. of bad. There's a great scenes of him like pulling one uh, out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's bad news. <laughs> uh, Professor X is very old. He's 90 and he's suffering uh, from some form of dementia. Right. And as a result of this, his uh, frighteningly vast telepathic powers are raging out of control. Yeah, they have to keep him at up, random basically. intervals. It's kind of scary. And in the midst of this, they are living in the desert. Uh, Wolverine has hooked up with Caliban, who is a mutant with tracking powers, an albino right. uh, who has to hide from the sun, who is helping him care for Professor X. They're in southern New Mexico. Yeah. And uh, a woman named Gabriella comes for Logan asking for help. Uh, help me rescue my daughter, my daughter, Laura. And as we all know from the trailers and from the comics, Laura is X-23. Yeah. 
uh, the clone daughter of Wolverine. And the story goes from there. She's uh, They're on the run from, uh, like Matt said, the military industrial complex. Uh, and this scientific firm has hired a group of cyborg mercenaries called the Reavers, who you may recall from the 80s X-Men comics. Not quite the same Reavers. Yeah, but, but still, it was kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, and they are plaguing uh, Wolverine and Professor X and Laura, hounding their every move as they try to escape. Right. My biggest beef with this film, they gave way too much away in the trailers. Yes. Way too much. Now, like, we like all knew. Seeing the movie, I was like, oh, well, there's that, there's that. I saw that coming, I guess. You didn't even have to show us the little girl in the trailer. Don't do it. No. Just like, show Logan. Oh, he's beat up. Oh, he's having trouble. Professor X voice. You're not healing like you used to, Wolverine. Whatever. And everybody's in. Doesn't matter what the story is. We're all going. Sure, sure. And, like, and then we get to the theater and go, oh, shit, that's what this is about? That would have been such like, a great reveal. They, could not, they couldn't have gotten away, I think, with not showing the girl, but they Why? didn't have to show her pop her claws and yeah, kill people in the I mean, trailer. Anything like that. Because the reveal of her walking away... Uh, walking out into the uh, it was fantastic to the compound yeah uh, and popping her claws for the first time it's such an amazing moment in this fantastic. movie fantastic uh, that yeah they kind of they gave it away in the trailers but so we're not going to spoil too much about it let's talk about the performance we're not really going to talk much more about the plot yeah and, and all, quite honestly here the story is it just is what it is and there isn't a whole lot to spoil but we're not going to go into that let's talk about the performances. Hugh Jackman here, most notably, is playing Wolverine that we have never seen before. He's old, he's beat up, he's flawed. It's very much Clint Eastwood in The Unforgiven. He yeah. used to be a total badass, and now he's a drunk, and he's a limo driver, and he's down on his luck, and he's in pain constantly. Wolverine and, the limo driver, I think, yeah. is kind of amusing. <laughs> he's got, he's got, his hair is graying. I mean, he looks old and shitty. Not as bad as Patrick Stewart looks. Right. <laughs> but I, I thought the he sold it really well. He was yeah. still the tough guy, and you got to see those glimpses of the old Wolverine where it came out every once in a while. There's a very good first scene where he's kind of getting beat up. It's sort of a, almost a Dark Knight Returns type scene where old man Bruce Wayne is getting jumped by thugs that he would have just to taken apart back in the day. And you get this little glimpse of the beast inside Wolverine and they still beat him down anyway, you know? <laughs> right. It was really effective. Like he's not the guy he used to be. Right. And people remember those who know him still remember him for who he was and sort of tease him as an old man and whatnot. Patrick Stewart is also broken. And this is a completely different Professor X. Yes. Completely different. He's out of his mind. He's cussing. He's spitting on people. He's in a wheelchair rolling around in this like giant water silo where they keep him because he's yeah. too dangerous to be in public. I mean, he has <laughs> dementia. And yeah. so his behavior is dictated by his condition. Um, it, Stuart was wonderful. Yes. Wonderful um, in this role. So let's real quick touch on the R rating. Just in regards to the Professor X characterization, okay. Um, yes, his behavior is kind of dictated by his medical condition and his mental state, um, but the idea of him just going from Professor X, the stoic, you know, uh, dignified leader of the X Men, to this old man that's like literally just like dropping f bombs left and right, um, I found it a little bit jarring. Not that Stewart doesn't do a great job with it. Um, it seemed like a little bit overboard for Professor X. I didn't. And that's just as someone who's had relatives that have suffered from dementia, you can turn into a completely different person. 
And I will tell you, I think he nailed this performance. But see, I don't think he seemed like a different person when he was actually... Well, he had moments of clarity. In control. Certainly. I mean, but that's the that's the real monster that is dementia. Yeah, that was, that's very fair. Uh, so let's talk about Laura. I think that this girl, uh, Daphne Keene is her name. Right. Uh, was outstanding. I don't think they could have picked a better. She was amazing yes. as Laura. And I really like that they didn't go the direction of like a Jerry Bruckheimer film and be like, she's a little too young to be sexy, but she is. Oh, God. You know, like they took a little girl. I mean, she's very, like a little girl. Yeah. And I think at any yeah. other studio, they'd have been like, no, we can't have a little tiny girl cutting people up like this. She's got to be older. Let's sex her up a little bit. Like a Megan Fox type yeah. thing. You know, like it, this was a little girl with claws murdering people, getting shot. I mean, like she was an animal. She was fantastic. And yeah. I, I applaud them for letting her be this violent killing machine and not trying to dumb it down, not trying to you I know, mean, and go for the PG-13 rating. She here. spends most of the movie not saying a word. Completely mute, yeah. And she, she carries that role. She does a wonderful job. Yeah. For, and this is her first role She's ever. also still a little girl. It's not like she's this like, badass monster the whole time. She's still a little girl, and she has these moments where she's right. like, hey, she likes those sunglasses. And she's like, oh, man, she likes candy, you know? Yeah, <laughs> she reads comic books. Right, you know? Let, uh, me, let me ask like, you. Real quick, my only concern about the age of the actress uh, is purely selfish because... For them to get to a point where they are putting her in solo movies as the character. I don't know if that's the plan. Uh, it's going to be some time because she's literally like 10. I don't know if that is the plan at all. Honestly, I think you this don't is, think so. I think this is the end of this storyline. We'll get there. We'll get because there. Because they're still going to make X-Men movies set in this timeline. I'm well aware. We'll get there. Well, that's the other thing. I don't know if this is set in the new X-Men timeline or this is the end of the old X-Men timeline. Where Days of the Future Past, like I said, changed everything, and this is your closure of <laughs> no, Wolverine man. in that timeline. They've already done one movie in the new timeline. They're not going to go back. I'm what? No, I'm not saying they're going back. I'm no. saying what I'm saying is we know we're getting a new Wolverine. We know there's going to be a new younger Wolverine. There's no way they're letting that go. Sure. No way. So I'm. This might be the end of the old X Men timeline, and it came out of order of you know, the new X-Men movie or whatever, but it sure felt like that. Patrick Stewart's there. Hugh it Jackman's also takes there. place 30 years ahead of I, where they are in I that get timeline. It, but, so. the, you know, timelines being timelines, who knows is what yeah. I'm saying. It's confusing. So what did we dislike about it? I think it goes a little long. I it think it lagged long. a little in the middle. Um, I think that there are moments where it gets unbearably cheesy. Especially at the end. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not going to talk about what I mean. Uh, no, there was like, definitely there was the some movie. cheese here. Without giving out any spoilers, they were pushing the idea that Logan had to get this little girl to a place. And that place, she's going to be safe. We've got to get her there. It's, it's just in Canada, right across the border. And she'll be safe there. We've got to get her there. And then, you know, when they finally do get to that point in the story... It just sort of stops. It's an afterthought. We don't even get to that. We spend a lot more time sort of saying goodbye to these actors and, the, and this franchise. Maybe. Sure, right. And um, I don't know. That bothered me a little bit. I, I think I get that this was 
story was removed and it only featured Wolverine and Caliban and Professor X, but I thought they really missed an opportunity to do something there to give us a little more closure and show us a, just a, a glimpse of what happened um, to these other characters. Yes. You know? uh, so I'm of two minds about it. Uh, without, Again, like you said, without going too much into what happens in the end, the story ends abruptly. Yes. Uh, prior to what some might call like a satisfying finish. Uh, and yeah, I can see how that might be a problem. But on the other hand, I see it as like a kind of an abrupt, violent ending to a violent life. You know? Yeah. And not a, not a violent life, but a, a violent. Um, we've been following this character for 16 years. Right. And really without without a spoiler. It's, it's again, not a clean ending. The story ends with Wolverine <coughs> with the end of Wolverine's story arc. I guess. Right. So maybe that is it's the last Wolverine movie. Yeah. So like, yeah, they, it's, maybe that it's is the a, end or at least the last Hugh Jackman Wolverine. Right. <laughs> We're kidding. But so part of this also kind of touches on the fact that they hint at a bunch of things without revealing what happened. Right. And I honestly um, don't think we're going to see any more of this storyline. I really don't. No, no. I'm not saying that there's going to be a follow-up. Or even this future or whatever. But I, I, I think it was a missed opportunity. Like you said, like if this was going to be a send-off for this character. Right. And also uh, for Xavier, uh, Patrick Stewart said, I'm done. Yeah. So if this was truly going to be a send-off, why, why didn't we get, you know, even like flashes of right. the other X-Men. A little more closure. You know, they, they hint at something terrible that happened to the X-Men. Right. They don't tell you what happened. Ever. They barely even hint at who was responsible. Right. Uh, but they don't actually confirm anything or tell you where they are or what happened to them. Yeah, there's a, and there's a lot of that in the film. They hint that something happened to Wolverine, but we never learn what it was. They yeah. hint that something horrible happened to Professor X that pushed him towards his demented state. We don't really know what it was. And maybe none of that's important. No. But it felt important while it, I was watching yes, it. Yes, right. And, and I, in that it led moment, me to go, like, why aren't you addressing it? And in that moment and viewing it as the conclusion of these characters' stories. Right. It would have been nice to have that kind of nostalgic And I should say, this moment. isn't just Joe and I sitting here, you know, nitpicking on something. We want to know more. No, they put characters in the story that had lines that dealt with things that happened. Right. That they never addressed again. And, and right, like, like, just all you have to do is yeah, right. take those characters like out. Like you said, there's the doctor that's like, right. let me help you. Let right. me figure out what's wrong with you. And he's like, nah. Yeah, nah. and Caliban talks about Professor X and what happened to him. But then they, you know, I don't want to talk about it. You right, know? yeah. Whatever. They bring it up and then refuse to deal with it. Right. Either don't bring it up at all or tell us. Right. Is what I'm saying. Yes, exactly. And I would be a little more satisfied. Right, right. I would have been happier about it if they had never referenced anything about it. Yeah. Like, there's a mystery. The X-Men are gone. We right. don't know why. It's not important. That's not the story Future Imperfect Hulk came to Earth, killed all the X-Men. Ate the X-Men. Punched Professor X in the head just hard enough to whack him, do, whack him out. <laughs> right. So, yes, there are, are some flaws. Sure. But overall, I thought this movie was wonderful. I did, too. I loved it. It's, it's a Western. It I, is a Western starring absolutely. Wolverine. And it's, it's the perfect way to end this storyline for both Hugh Jackman and Patrick Stewart. Yeah, there were some loose ties here, but whatever. This was great. This is what we needed to see, and I think it was very basic, as opposed to a lot of these superhero movies that go for this huge story and world-bending plot. This is a very personal story about Wolverine, right. and director James Mangold made it feel very personal. A lot of the, like, there was no big flashy set 
you know, set pieces or anything. This was the desert, the interstate, a farm. I mean, the forest and the mountains. Yeah, it, it yeah. wasn't important. This was more about Wolverine. Let's follow him in this very personal story and see how it carries through. And yeah, I thought it was excellent. I'm giving this a huge see it. Yeah, it's a see it. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it was great. You, it is definitely the best X Men movie, without a doubt. I mean, I'm yeah. talking about even the good ones that you yeah. think are good and in hindsight have a lot of problems. Yeah, not only the best Wolverine movie. I think it's the, but best, the best X-Men, X-Men movie, movie, period. I totally agree. And it's absolutely the best Wolverine movie for sure, which is a very low bar to hurdle, but they did it. Yeah. <laughs> that was our review of Logan. Now we want to hear what you aging mutants thought, so hit us up with your opinions on next week's THN cover to cover or drop a review over at the THN forums. If you're an old school Wolvie nerd like me, then you've probably heard this question several times in the last week. And Joe and I, we're going to put an end to it right here. But everyone has been asking, is Logan based on old man Logan? So Joey and I decided to premiere a brand new segment. We're calling Break It Down Again. Unfortunately, we cannot use the Kick-Ass Tears for Fears song. Press play on your (laughs) tape deck now. (laughs) On this edition of Break It Down Again, we are revisiting Mark Miller and Steve McNiven's Wolverine storyline, Old Man Logan. Matt said it already. In Old Man Logan, Wolverine finds himself 50 years in the future. Right. Living a quiet, peaceful life in a very awful place. Yes. Uh, this is an America ruled by supervillains. The, the United States have been divided by a group of Supervillains, and each one has a territory. Doctor Doom has the Midwest for some reason. Um, He's a Midwestern boy. Yeah, the uh, <laughs> the Hulks have California. Yep, and Magneto has a part of it. Red Skull has Washington. The new kingpin of crime seems to rule the Pacific Northwest, kind of uh, some part of it. Yeah, and Wolverine and his family are farmers trying to get by when they are. Uh, Set upon by the Hulk gang, uh, which are descendants of Bruce Banner. And just happen to be their landlords. Who own the property and are extorting the, the populace. And they have given Logan two weeks to come up with his rent, or they're going to come back and bad things are going to happen. And they know who he is. They're very much aware. Everyone knows that he used he to be Wolverine. Wolverine. And it seems to be this joke that they constantly talk about the day the heroes died. When all the villains teamed up and just like murdered all the heroes and Wolverine was right there and couldn't stop it. And they joke about it. Right. Constantly. Like he got kicked around. So again, just like in Logan, something terrible happened to him. Though they do eventually (laughs) reveal it. But unlike Logan, we learn what it is. Right. There is a lot to like here. There was a lot to like here. Like any Miller comic, there are lots of fun, big ideas. Right. And this is one of his like first really big blockbuster storylines that where he went into that sort of movie storytelling where they set it up with these vast, like beautiful splash pages by Steve McNiven, who at the time was just amazing. Absolutely amazing. He's still work. He's still incredible. Yeah. We just n- seem to never see anything from the guy anymore. <laughs> right. right. His output is extremely limited. So this was 2008, 2009. So it would have been the year after civil war. McNiven would have been a superstar. Yes. He was at the absolute height of his game at, at this point. And my favorite part about this storyline was it just took place in the pages of the Wolverine series. This was not a standalone miniseries. They just did yep. it in Wolverine. Now, 
It did take a very long time to finish. A very long time. Steve Over McNiven one year. Is famous for being slow. And if I recall correctly, I think that they had to eventually put out issues of Wolverine out of order. I think you're right. Because it was so late that they shifted the conclusion of Old Man Logan to a separate one shot and then just kept rolling with the Wolverine book. Yeah, I think you're right. But yeah, it had its problems, but read all in one shot like I did just now, uh, or just this week. Uh, it was a lot easier to digest. Yeah. Um, and it's very slight, you know, there's, there's, yes, there are stakes. Yes, Wolverine's family is on the line. Yes, there are dangerous criminals about. Uh, but you know, throughout the whole thing, as he claims that he's a pacifist, he's not going to pop his claws. Of course. I'm not going to fight for you, Hawkeye, all this stuff. You know that eventually you're going to get to that moment where we're, well, <clears throat> Where Logan becomes Wolverine again. And this is okay. This is very much more in the spirit of Unforgiven, the movie I keep referring to. The Clint Eastwood, the washed-up guy, leaves his kids at home, you know, to go find some money to take care of his farm, and then everybody knows he's this old badass gunfighter, but he swore never to pick up his guns again. This is that story. Yeah. This is Mark Millar almost exactly Unforgiven to Wolverine. Now let's talk about some differences. From Old Man Logan to Well, I mean, Logan it is completely Logan. different. It's completely this is, different. This is like a crazy dystopian sci-fi. Right. But I just want to lay it out. X-23, Laura, did not appear here. Had nothing to do with this story. No. She actually appeared in, the sto- in a book called NYX back in the 90s. Um, that took place in modern X-Continuity. No, it was the 2000s. We were at Krypton. Was it so, 2000s? Yeah. NYX number three was her first appearance. Yeah. Um. From there, she ended up popping into X-Men. She was in the, the young X-Men books at the time, New right. X-Men or New Mutants. Um, that book changed titles so many times. Right. But yeah, she was a regular fixture at this time, but she wasn't really... Wolverine and X-23 never really had like a, what I would call a close relationship at the, no, t- at the time. Connection. So this story is devoid of that. It's just a Wolverine story right. set in the future. And it is a wacky Mark Millar romp. Through the future Marvel U, where Millar could do whatever he wanted. Right. It, whatever it, he it's wanted. It's Miller's chance to take a shit on all these concepts from yeah. the Marvel Universe, yeah. because it takes place in the far future, and who cares? Sure. Like, they drive through a town car- called Hammer Falls, and it's called Hammer Falls because in the middle of town is Thor's hammer. Right. Just sitting there where it fell after he died, and nobody can move it. Right. And tourists come to visit it and, like, pray for the heroes to come back. And yeah. Stuff. And then there's another town called, like, Pym Crossing or whatever. And it's like, well, why do they call it Pym Crossing? Because to get across this gorge, you have to drive through the huge giant side skeleton of <laughs> Hank Pym. Yep. Uh, and, yeah, it's these, these crazy ideas where all the heroes are dead. And eventually you do learn what happened to the heroes. Are we going to do it? Are we going to spoil it? No, let's not spoil it. Just know that there's a twist and, uh, you know, whatever happened to the heroes on the night that they died broke Wolverine. Right. Basically, Wolverine was so traumatized by it that he laid down on the, on the train tracks yeah. and essentially committed uh, suicide, you know, in the only way that Wolverine really can. Right. Um, but it, he gave himself a clean break and re rebranded himself with a new identity. Rebranded. As a, he said rebranded. Rebranded. <laughs> rebranded himself uh, it, with a new identity, a new outlook, uh, and a new uh, pacifistic philosophy. And um, it doesn't work out. So you had two of the biggest names in comics at the time working on the storyline. Let me ask you, is it a classic? Is this a classic? It's this must-read Wolverine 
classic. I don't know, man. I, I think it's a little too new to be considered a classic, but it, it's fun. It's got problems. Okay, let's say 10 years from now, will we look back at this and say, yes, that is a Wolverine classic. Probably. That should be right there with Chris Claremont's Wolverine miniseries and Frank. Kitty Pride and Wolverine. Yeah. Kitty Pride and Wolverine. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. See, I have some problems. With I'm Old saying Man it Logan. is. I'm saying it is. And I don't have problems with Old Man Logan because it is a fun future story where this, this is the stuff that Millar is perfect at. I keep saying Millar, Miller. This is stuff that Miller is perfect at. Given his own sandbox, let him go crazy and just have fun with it. Go nuts. All right. You know, and it doesn't count. It doesn't matter. How many times have they changed the future of the Marvel U? Although now we do have old man Logan running around in the regular <laughs> Marvel universe. Right, right. He's not as psychotic as he was when he first showed up, I guess. But at the time when it was new and Mark Miller only had uh, one or two of his outrageous creator owned ideas under his belt, like right. uh, wanted probably had come out. I, I was fine with it. And I thought it was interesting and fun. And because it took so long to come out, uh, I may have glossed over some problems that I had with the story. Uh, well, most admit, notably, it was a huge shot in the arm for a Wolverine series. That was oh, not very exciting. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I don't think it's a classic. I think it's a classic. I'm giving it a buy it. I still enjoyed it as much as I did back like, in the it's day. Not that, like, this is not a review. There's no buy it's here. This is break it down again, where we're just like oh, looking okay, back on enough. it okay. with some distance behind it. I, I think it's a classic. I don't really think it's a classic. I mean, it's not that it's not fun. I think it's fine. I think it is an exciting read. It's beautiful to look at. Sure. But in the pantheon of all-time greats, Wolverine stories... There aren't that many to begin with, so maybe by default it's up there on the list. Okay, given, given your druthers, would you rather this was the movie that we just got or Logan? Oh, boy. Let's say where they could, you can, they could do whatever they want. They, Sony teamed up with Marvel. They can use all these characters if they feel like it. Would you rather have this movie or Logan? I don't know. I really liked Logan. I'd rather have this movie. No. <laughs> oh, man. I want to see the inbred Hulks and stuff and like old man Hawkeye and the spider buggy. We would be giggling the whole time. <laughs> I mean, what you're describing is a completely different movie. I know. It, it, I know. It, it would be. It's apples and oranges. Of course. It would be fun to see this yeah. in live action for sure. Yes. But the Logan movie is wonderful. Yes. Uh, and it's personal and it's poignant. Um, the, the old man Logan as a movie would just be like a grindhousey romp. I would be fine with me. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, yes, it would be fun. It's an honor to meet the Wolverine. Uh, I think we can consider this storyline broken. <laughs> I think we broke it. All right. We did it. We broke it. it and was, then we broke it down again. It was fixed. We broke it again. <laughs> we want to know what you guys thought of this segment. What you think of old man Logan, uh, future suggestions for break it down again segments. You know where to put that stuff. The forums. THNforums.forums.net. Excelsior! That is it for THN number three. If you like podcasts that rave about little girls murdering people, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Massive thanks to everyone that supports the show on PayPal and Patreon. Again, guys, this show survives solely on your donations, and we want to say thanks by giving the listeners cool swag. Access to donor-only content like the THN Drunk Nerds Guide to Previews coming next week. I just ordered new stickers this week. Stickers <laughs> are on the way. 
Remember, next week it's time for THN Cover to Cover, where you can call us live or, no time to do that, send us an MP3 nerd at gmail.com or leave us a message on the Ziggurat hotline 402-819-4894. You can talk about anything that happened on this show. You can talk about your review of Logan. You can talk about your review of Old Man Logan. We don't care. It's all about you and your nerdy life. Hit us up. Before we go, a weekly shout out goes to my grandpa Dean. He was the toughest, shortest, badass idol a short kid like me could help for. And he passed away this last Thursday. Word to you, Grandpa Dean, and like you always used to say to me, goodbye, old bud. And until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might send a little girl to your house to cut your damn head off. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off. <laughs>